Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here today. I'm Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we want to send you a special gift. If you'll register with us online, we'll send you this week a gift card for the brew that is on us. Thanks for being here today. This is the final week of our sermon series, Give Thanks. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. And speaking of the sermon, you'll find sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's Stephanie with our announcements. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. If you are new to Schweitzer or have been attending for a little while and are excited to get to know more about us, a great next step is for you to attend our all-in lunch. This is a free lunch that we'll be having on December 4th after the late service, and it's a time where you can come and ask all of your questions and even take a campus tour. Let us know that you'll be coming by signing up at the Blue Booth today or checking out more information at schweitzer.church next. Here on campus, our windows are filled with snowflakes, which represent gifts for kids. Once again this year, we are partnering with Pittman Elementary to host a free Christmas toy store. On December 15th, parents and families will have an opportunity to shop for their kids with gifts all donated by you. Please take a snowflake from the window and bring your unwrapped gift back to our donation bins by December 11th. Then we also will have some opportunities to volunteer at the toy store on December 15th, as well as some opportunities to buy some bonus items. You can find out more at schweitzer.church slash toy store or by talking with our volunteer team in the lobby today. Next Sunday, Advent begins, and we have lots of great ways for you to get involved, including joining a special Advent Bible study called The Greatest Gift. This study is being offered on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. and Wednesday mornings at 9.30 a.m. We are also excited to share that we have a brand new edition of the Schweitzer Spark Out, and it's all about Christmas. There are devotionals for each week of Advent included, as well as articles about Flourish, the Christmas Cantata, and what to expect on Christmas Eve. You can grab a copy in the lobby today or all around campus. We are so grateful that you've chosen to be with us today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie, for those great announcements. There are so many wonderful things happening here at Schweitzer. We invite you to join us for one or all of these events. You can sign up for these events at schweitzer.church next. As always, if you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends, give us your insights. And if you're in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you in the prayer room. Just press that button and we'll be right with you. And now, let's continue to worship.
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for who you are and how much you love us. During this time of Thanksgiving, we are so aware of the blessings of life, for the shelter and the food and the clothing, but God, we are also aware there are others who don't have those things. God, help us not to be blind to this and help us to reach out and care for others in need. Heavenly Father, we thank you that during all the storms of life, you are with us. We praise you for what you do 
on a daily basis for each one of us. Help us not to just be thankful for the great big things in our lives, but God, for the little bitty things that make such a difference. We thank you for what you do for us, and God, we pray that we might be a beacon of light to others in your holy name. And now we ask that we pray together the prayer that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. One of the many things we're so thankful for here at Schweitzer is your support of the ministries that happen here. Thank you so much for doing that. Recently, our second season people had a great event over the weekend. We had a boomer bash on Friday night with music and food and, and fellowship. And then on Saturday, we had a great seminar led by former pastor Clayton Smith. It was a great event. So many people enjoyed this, and our 55 and over people are very active in ministry here at Schweitzer. Thank you for supporting that. We want to remind you that you can go online at schweitzer.church give to support all of the ministries that happen in the walls and outside of the walls here at Schweitzer. Thank you so much for doing that. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with our sermon. I'm so thankful for my husband to grow and learn within this life and for my family. I'm Julia and this is why I give thanks. Welcome today, my name is Spencer. So glad that you're here with us. Today is part four of our series called Give Thanks. This is the last week of this series. Next week, we'll start our Advent series called Prepare the Way as we look at the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is actually the traditional readings for Advent, and it's all about getting ready for the coming of Jesus. And so we're going to be starting that next week and go all the way through Christmas Eve. I hope you'll join us. I hope you'll invite people to join us as well. Uh, today, as we wrap up this series on, on Thanksgiving, on, on gratitude, we've been talking for the last several weeks about developing gratitude in our lives because one of the things we've been learning is that gratitude is one of those things that doesn't just happen. We don't stumble into becoming grateful people. Instead, this is something we have to develop. And so we've been talking about some practical ways that we can develop gratitude. Things like counting our blessings, Right, naming them, writing them down, because if we don't count your blessings and think about the goodness of God in your life, instead what you end up doing is counting your complaints and, and you just live into your complaints. Uh, so we've been talking about that. We talked about uh, last week the, the direct link between gratitude and generosity, and we're going to kind of explore that link a little bit more today. And we've also learned in this series that as Christians, you don't have to look very far for reasons to be grateful. I mean, we have this word that we use in church. We call it grace, that God 
um, has given us his gift. That's what the word grace means. And this is how God interacts with us is through his grace. And so um, as we receive God's grace, we give thanks. Or as we've said in this series, as receivers of grace, we are givers of thanks. It's just that simple. And so we've been guided in this series through uh, Psalm 107, which is a prayer of thanksgiving. It's kind of lengthy, but, but this psalm is, is divided into four sections, and each section highlights a way that we encounter God's grace in our life that then drives us, drives us to give thanks. And so today we're in the last section. It's the longest of the four sections, and this is what Psalm 107 teaches us. So starting in, in verse uh, 23, here's what it says. Some went out on the seas, on the sea and ships, but they were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water and parched ground into flowing springs. And there he brought the hungry to live and they settled a city where they could, where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards. They yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in trackless ways, but he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Now, this is the longest of these four sections. And in fact, this, this fourth section, it almost felt like you had two different sections. Because it started off talking about the uh, those who go out in, in ships and, and the, the oceans and they experience a storm and how the Lord um, is able to calm the seas to a whisper is what we read there. And then, and then there's a second section, which I just love, about how the deserts are being made into pools of water and there will be streams that come in the desert. And you you get this sense of how the Lord is is as, is able to rescue from, um, from even these desert situations. And it might seem like these are two different scenarios. I mean, one's about the ocean, one's about deserts, but really what we're reading here in this last section is, is a similar um, idea that, that what the Lord is able to do is he is able to rescue even in those moments where we find ourselves um, overwhelmed like storms in an ocean or wandering by ourselves through a, a desert wasteland. And, and of course, this is poetry. So we're, you know, we're not talking about literally those kinds of things. It's, it's metaphors for those times in life where we feel those kinds of overwhelming situations, which we all feel from time to time, those places where it feels like what we're walking through is a storm in the ocean or wandering in deserts all by ourselves. But what we learn is that even then in those chaotic, overwhelming moments, that the Lord is able to rescue us. 
that the Lord is able to come through, that the Lord is faithful in those times, that the Lord is able um, to rescue us. And so we see this, this incredible picture here of, of, of chaos that surrounds us, and yet the goodness of God that leads us. And we all know what these moments of chaos are like, though. I mean, we, we've all been there. Um, it's the diagnosis where no matter how much you read or how much you Google, you still find that you're out of control of the sickness that's before you. It's, it's, the, it's the marriage that's ending, and, and no matter how much you want it to last, you know that it's just coming to an end. Or it's the, it's, the, it's the company that sells, and even though you love your job, now you find that your new job is in a very different situation. You don't know what to do about it anymore. Or, or it's the person that you love who's, who's addicted, and, and no matter how much you pray for them or try to help them, they just stay stuck in their addictions. And you just feel like you're overwhelmed by these, uh, by these situations. And yet what we learn here from the Psalm is that, is that even when we're overwhelmed and there's chaos surrounding us and we don't know what to do and we've lost control of, of the situations, that even then the Lord is able to rescue. Because what, what we know is that our chaos is not chaos to God. And, and our um, feelings of being overwhelmed, like God is not overwhelmed by the same things that, that we are. And so we have this, this great truth that even in the midst of our chaos, God um, rescues us. This reminds me of, of, of Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew 8, Jesus has this incredible picture of rescue that, that's exactly that, that just teaches us that, that our chaos is not chaos to God. And so in Matthew chapter 8, we read this incredible story. It goes like this. It says, Then Jesus got into the boat, And the disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves um, swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? I just, I love Matthew chapter eight because it's just this incredible, incredible story. And there's so much to be said about this. But but one of the things that we don't want to miss is how just absolutely underwhelming Matthew makes this story. I mean, think about it. Jesus just calmed the storm and they're, they're like overwhelmed in their, in their amazement. Who, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And this incredible story, Matthew tells it in like five verses. I mean, it's just like it's underwhelming the way he says it. Or, or I think about um, how, you know, they're in this life or death situation. But what's Jesus doing? Well, he's sleeping in the boat. He's like, he's not even concerned about this kind of thing. Or if you read all of Matthew 8 and Matthew chapter 9, it's just so fascinating that this little story of the calming of the storms is just kind of like, place there in the middle. I mean, there's stories before this about healings and demon possession. And then there's a story after this about Jesus raising a dead girl from, from, uh, from back to life. And it's almost as if Matthew's like, oh yeah, I almost forgot. There was also this time where Jesus calmed the storm, but he just, he kind of tucks it in there. And it's just, it's almost like an afterthought because it's, it's this, it's this truth that our chaos is not chaos to God. That our overwhelming situations are not overwhelming to God. Like, like this is this, just this truth that God is able to save us, that He rescues us, even in these times of life where it might feel like you're drowning in a storm or you're wandering in a desert all alone. Even then, the Lord rescues us. And this act of God, it, it drives us, it draws us 
into being people of thanksgiving. That's what the psalm taught us. In Psalm 107, verse 31, the response of how God saves us from the storm or from the desert was this. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. That's one, Psalm 107, verse 31, but it's also Psalm 107, verse 8, verse 15, and verse 21. It's in there four times. In each one of the four sections of Psalm 107, we read this refrain, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And so every time the psalm talks about this act of God's grace in our life, we're, we're drawn back into, into, giving fray, into, into giving thanks. Now this phrase, um, his unfailing love, let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love is absolutely pivotal it's absolutely pivotal um, as, as we, as for a reason for why we give thanks. In fact, this, this phrase, unfailing love, it's, it's, it's been translated from a, from a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is, is chesed, and chesed is like one of the most foundational, most important words in all of the Bible used to describe God's character and what God is like. And it's this incredibly rich Hebrew word that's got all kinds of meaning. So as you read through your English Bibles, this word is going to be translated in different kinds of ways. In Psalm 107, 31, it was his unfailing love. And other places, you might find it be translated as the word faithful or maybe uh, the word kindness. Uh, compassion sometimes is how it's translated. Or one of my favorites, uh, love endures forever, as in let us give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. All of those are examples of, of how the Bible translates this Hebrew word chesed. And so when we say that you know, God loves us, the idea of chesed is not just that God loves us, but that more like God is like continually and always and persistently and perpetually and forever loving us. It's like God is just absolutely faithful in all that he does. And while others may walk away, the Lord never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is always with us. And this is the idea of his said is that God never, never walks away. Instead, he is continually, persistently, perpetually, and forever loving us. This is why in the Bible, when, when both the, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the actions of God are often called covenants, like promises that he makes, whether it's to Noah or Moses or David or Jesus have the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins for everyone. Like when God moves, he makes these promises because he is, he is certain and sure. And so this is the idea of chesed is that God is always faithful. He's always, always working on our behalf. And so no matter, even if we face um, overwhelming and chaotic situations, the unfailing love of God Psalm 107 teaches us, it becomes like, a, like an anchor for us. That no matter what we may be facing, there is this, this anchor that is holding us secure, that even though the storms may be brewing and there's a desert we feel like we're walking through, even then we can still give thanks because there is this anchor that holds us and it holds us secure even in the midst of chaos and overwhelming, overwhelming situations. The Lord rescues us even then. So what difference does it make, though, when, when you start to realize this? I mean, what difference does it make when this, this truth of, of, of the unfailing love of God, it enters our minds and our hearts and we begin to live this? Well, the, the difference is just, out, I mean, just, it's just outstanding. I mean, the difference is, is amazing as we begin to live a totally different kind of life. I mean, you think about the difference that it starts to make when, 
when you begin to trust that the Lord is this anchor in my life, no matter what the chaos or the overwhelming situation may be, you're going to be able to begin to trust God in totally different situations than you used to. And it's going to show up in really, really practical ways as you begin to trust in this unfailing love of God. So let's get practical. And let me show you a real life example from the Bible of of the difference this makes when you begin to trust in the unfailing love of God. And so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is one of my favorite examples of this in the Bible. Because what we're going to look at here is an example of a group of people who are facing just chaos. And yet what they're able to do is trust God as this anchor because of his unfailing love. Now, the background to what we're about to read here, this is um, a letter is written by Paul to this church in Corinth. Um, And what Paul's doing is he's writing this letter for, for several reasons. But one of the reasons he's writing this letter is because he's trying to raise some money uh, for the church in Jerusalem. Uh, There's been a famine that's happened to the Christian community in Jerusalem is uh, suffering. And so he writes this letter trying to, to raise funds for them. And as he does this, he begins to talk about the nature of generosity, which we talked a lot about last week as well. But as we talk about the nature of generosity, you can see really clearly how this difference starts to show up of when I happen, when I start to trust in God's unfailing love, what does it look like practically in my life? And that's what we're going to see in 2 Corinthians 8. And of course, we could have gone to so many different places in the Bible to see this, but I just find this to be so inspiring and encouraging when I read um, this example of, of what it looks like to trust God no matter what. So here's how this goes. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So here's, just draw us a line here. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He's going to write, about the Macedonians in order to raise money for those in Jerusalem. So you've got to have like some lines to understand here, but that's, that's what's happening. And so here's what he writes about the Macedonian churches to the Corinthians. Verse two, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So I need to read that again. Okay. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now this this is amazing because there are words in this sentence that should not go together. I mean, we we read uh, about their very severe trial and their overflowing joy. Like what in the world? How do those two phrases go together? Or, or uh, their extreme poverty and yet rich generosity. Like this doesn't make any sense, these words that Paul combines here uh, to talk about this. But th- like you read about their, their, their situation and, and then, you know, it's a, they're going through this trial, but not just a trial, it's a severe trial. Actually, it's a very severe trial to quote it directly from the Bible. Like when I read about the Macedonians, I can't help but think, This is a group that for whatever it is they're going through, this is a group that's facing chaos. Like they must feel overwhelmed. For Paul to write about them and to describe their situation as extreme poverty and over uh, very severe trials, like they must just feel overwhelmed. This has to be something that's out of their control. Life must be overwhelming. They must feel chaotic. And then it just brings to question though, but what happens when our chaos meets the grace of God. Well, here's what happens. Listen to this, verse three. This is amazing. Verse three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, 
and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So remember, Paul's raising money for these folks in Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, we, we want to give more. And Paul must have been like, no, 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 like, seriously, y'all you, you have given enough. You don't need to give any more. And, and then they come back and like, no, 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 even more. We want to give even more. This is the situation. They just want to give even more. And so verse five says, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And then he keeps going in the same, the same vein. And to me, this is, this is absolutely incredible because how does this happen? How do you have this this church in Macedonia who's struggling, extreme poverty, very severe trials, how do you have them live with this kind of just amazing generosity because like this shouldn't happen. This isn't what you'd expect. Even Paul is like, I didn't expect this. They exceeded our expectations. We even warned them, maybe you're giving a little too much, but, but they just wanted to give more and more and more. So how, like, how, does, this, how does this happen? Because it's not what you'd expect. You'd expect that when somebody is really struggling, their life is chaotic, they're overwhelmed by things, they have very severe trials, they're extremely poor, whatever it might be, you would expect for those people to turn inward because that's what happens. When you're going through a really chaotic experience in life, you turn inward, you, you try to take care of yourself first. But here's this group that's looking outward in order to bless others. Like, how, how does this happen I mean, like, they're still able to, to trust God even in the midst of their, their troubles, their, their overwhelming situations. But this is what happens when our chaos meets the grace of God. There is this amazing ability to trust God no matter what it is we face. And I want you to notice that when they trust God, this is not like a thought experiment. This is not just something that they feel or think. This is how they're actually living. Like, they're putting literally their money where their mouth is. They believe in this and they're living the difference that this makes. And so how do you do this? How does this happen? How do you trust God no matter what it is that you're facing, even in the midst of chaos? Well, if you skip ahead to chapter nine, um, Paul, he wraps up this section on fundraising. I just want to read to you how he wraps this up because again, it's just this beautiful writing about why we should trust the Lord. But here's what he writes. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So pay attention to what we just read here. Paul and his fundraising, he, he's talking about these Macedonians in order to get the Corinthians to understand their, their call to generosity, but he doesn't shame anybody here. He's not giving commandments to any, anybody here. What he's doing is he's encouraging people to remember the goodness of God. That's where generosity comes from, after all. I mean, 
He's encouraging this because, because generosity, it, it comes as an overflow of, of the goodness of God, of the grace of God in our life. And this is why he writes things like how God loves a cheerful giver and how God blesses us abundantly so that we can abound in every good work and how God will supply us with whatever we need so we can be generous on every occasion. Like, don't, don't miss how important this is that, that when Paul talks about generosity, what he's really talking about, the thing behind the thing is, is the goodness of God. And so last week, as we talked about generosity, we, we said we could draw a direct line between generosity and gratitude because what these actions are about is it's about understanding the goodness of God is being poured into our life in such a way that our own lives begin to overflow with the goodness and the grace of God. And, and the amazing thing that, that we read here in 2 Corinthians is that this kind of overflow from our lives can happen even in the midst of the chaos and the overwhelming things that we face. Even when we feel like we're walking through a storm or we're walking through a desert, we're utterly alone, even then the goodness of God can overflow from our lives to bless others and to bless God's work and, and, to, and to live into this. It, it changes our lives. It changes our lives. Recognizing the goodness and grace of God, it changes our lives. So a few months ago, I was uh, watching Wheel of Fortune one evening. And I want to rephrase that sentence because that just made me sound really, really old. So let me say that differently. A few months ago, I happened to watch Wheel of Fortune one evening because I don't normally watch that show, but I happened to watch it that evening. And that particular evening, there were these uh, celebrities on and they were all raising money for their various, uh, you know, whatever charity that they chose, they chose that, that evening. And, and, and it was a celebrity edition. And you know, one celebrity had a, you know, like a pet shelter. Another had like a veterans organization. But then there was this other, other person who came on, Robert um, Herjavec, who is from Shark Tank. And he was raising money for uh, the Gospel Union Mission in Seattle. And that immediately grabbed my attention because I thought to myself, it's not very often that you see somebody raising money for something that's so explicitly Christian. So I looked it up and I was like, what is this connection here between this multimillionaire who's on Shark Tank? I think he's on Dancing with the Stars as well. I've never watched the show, so I don't know that for sure. But, but he's also then raising money for this uh, gospel mission in, in, in Seattle. And, and as I learned his story, I, I realized, oh my goodness, it's an amazing connection that comes straight from these kinds of examples of how the grace and the goodness of God overflowing in our life, it just begins to change us. So Robert Herjavec, this multimillionaire, the story is that um, after making millions of dollars in his, in, his, in his business, he found himself after 24, 25 years of marriage that his marriage was imploding. He started to fall apart on the inside. He became suicidal. He tells a story about one night um, being in a hotel in, in, uh, in Toronto and looking over the edge and thinking that maybe he should just go ahead and end it. Like his, his life was overwhelming and he felt all of this chaos. He'd had all of this success in his life and yet on the inside and what he was going through in the most important places of his life, he felt like there was just chaos. And so he went to talk to his pastor one day about what he should do. And the advice that his pastor gave him, oh my goodness, it was so incredibly wise. Because what his pastor told him was essentially he pointed him towards this, the grace and the goodness of God overflowing our lives. He connected him with his gospel mission in Seattle. And so Robert Herjavec, this multimillionaire, started to serve in the soup kitchen line. He started to serve with these homeless men. He started to get to know them and to serve them. And, and as he did so, as he gave of himself for the sake of others, he says, use his own words here, that that experience saved my life. Of course it did. 
Because what he learned was that as the goodness of God overflows my own life into the lives of others, that when I begin to live a life of generosity, of service to others and looking past myself and the own, my own chaos that I feel within me, that what happens is that the Lord, that he is able to rescue, that he's able to save. That what, he, what you learn is that, is that my chaos is not chaos to God, that what is overwhelming to me is not overwhelming to God. And so here was this man who now stood on TV and he's raising money for this organization because he knows that out of the goodness of the overflow of my life, when I experience God's goodness in my life, and this overflows to any, that the Lord is able to use that in order to rescue us. And so we've noticed in this series that when you talk about gratitude, we can draw a straight line from the act of giving thanks to this act of overflowing with generosity and service to others. And if we feel like our lives are chaotic, if there are things that are overwhelming us, if there are things that we just feel like we're walking through a, a storm or maybe we're walking through a desert all alone, well, maybe one of the things that the Lord is calling us to do is to get past ourselves and to begin the, to live the kind of life where the grace and the goodness of God that we experience begins to overflow to others. Let's pray. And so Father, today, we give you thanks for your rescue. How you come to us in our chaos, in things that are overwhelming, and there are definitely those who are with us today who feel like they're facing something that is chaotic, outside of their control, they don't know how they're gonna make it. We know that you can rescue. You can bring relief, you can bring salvation. And as we experience the goodness and the grace of God in our own lives, may this overflow to others through acts of generosity and service, of giving ourselves away for the sake of others. And when we do this, we know that we are gonna live into this, this rescue that comes and it just drives us into giving grace, into giving, into giving thanks for what you have done. So God, today we thank you. We thank you for the way that you rescue us, you save us, you call us your children. And for anyone who's with us today who doesn't know the, this grace and goodness of God inside of us, we pray as a very simple prayer, prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? And would you lead my life? And so Father, thank you. We thank you. We thank you for how you pour your grace and goodness out into our lives. Now may we pour this out into the world as we overflow with your goodness and grace. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being here with us today for worship. I wanna thank our team for making this service happen. And especially a thank you to Pastor Spencer for his wonderful message. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, we ask you to share this on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we invite you back next week for the beginning of our Advent series, Prepare the Way. You won't wanna miss it. Have a great week.
And when I think 